and as you mentioned, it was a huge, you know, it's a huge difference from being, you know, uh, uh, an investment banker and you go to being an assistant basketball coach. And every one of my friends thought I was having a nervous breakdown. But actually, <laughs> it was part of a bigger plan. And there were no guarantees that I could have, I, I would have been successful and, and all that stuff. But it was something that my, I, my dad always said, if you can find a job that you love doing, it won't feel like a job. And he was absolutely right. And that's why I really took the, the risk to do it. I'm going with the flow and thank you, Falaran. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Go With The Flow. I have another very, very special guest with me as part of this alumni series, Mr. Craig Robinson, class of 1983. And I'll just give a short little short little background. He graduated from Princeton in 1983 with a degree in sociology. He was a member of the varsity basketball team where he was two-time Ivy League Player of the Year. He was drafted by the 76ers, played overseas for two years before deciding to get his MBA in finance from University of Chicago. He worked as a bond trader and investment banker in the 90s before leaving to pursue his uh, passion in basketball, where he was an assistant at Northwestern for six years, head coach at Brown University for two years, and then Oregon State for six years. Um, he worked as an analyst for ESPN and then was the Bucks vice president of player organizational development for one year before filling the same role at the Knicks. And he now serves as the executive director of the National Association of Basketball Coaches. So welcome to the show, Mr. Robinson. <laughs> well, Falaran, thanks for having me on, man. And thanks for that wonderful introduction. You got everything in uh, the right sequence. <laughs> I love that. Um, so the first place that I actually wanted to start with was your entrance into the career of finance. So like I mentioned, you were drafted by the Sixers and spent some years playing overseas. When did you know that it was the right time to leave basketball and then pursue something else? And why was finance the route that you decided that you wanted to take? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I, I you know, once I got cut from the Sixers, I thought that was going to be the end of my career, right? Because Back then, the G League wasn't as it was it was actually called the CBA back then, and it wasn't as uh, robust as it is today. And it was very few guys who made it from the CBA into the NBA. So I was very prepared uh, to sort of just go start looking for a job. And uh, but fortunately, while I was while I was looking, I got an offer to play over in, in England, in Manchester, England. And I did that for two seasons. And after the second season, I thought to myself, you know, I could stay over here and do this for 10 years, but is that something I really wanted to do? And at the time, I didn't know I wanted a career in sports. I really didn't know what I wanted to do because I was one of those kids who came to Princeton from a place where neither one of my parents went to college. My dad worked for the city. My mom was a, a, a secretary at a bank. So I didn't have sort of a preordained path on where to go. So I started just looking around and ended up uh, interviewing at Sears Roebuck, which uh, has closed down now, but it used to be where um, it used to, it used to own Dean Witter Reynolds, which was a, a stock brokerage firm. And that was my first foray into finance. So uh, I started out as a stockbroker. 
and realize that this was an opportunity you, you could make a lot of money uh, just by talking to people on the phone. And, and once I, I got a taste of that, then I realized there was this whole um, other aspect of finance on the institutional side, because, you know, a stockbroker is, is, was back then was sort of called retail finance, where you talk to individuals. Um, and then, and then uh, I, 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 I saw the institutional side, but every, every Black person who was on the institutional side had an MBA. And if I wanted to do that, I had to go back to school. And that's when I decided to go back and get my MBA. Yeah. And was that a, uh, when you were deciding that you maybe didn't want to stay in basketball any longer, would you say that was a moment of crisis for you since that was you basketball is probably one of the a, a constant in your life up until that point? You know, Flo, I got to tell you, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, I wasn't, I did. I didn't feel like any stress. Right. I knew um, it, it wasn't a crisis. It wasn't a fear. I just knew I had to get a job at some point. Right. So I knew that I knew it was coming. And that while basketball was a big part of my life all the way up until then, you have to remember back in the 80s, it most people didn't try and make it to the NBA. I know I didn't. I, I was just <laughs> fortunate, right? I was, I was using basketball to get an education and my parents had a lot to do with that. But I also realized, you know, there weren't a lot of teams back then. Um, the, the, the money in the NBA wasn't what it is today. So, you know, I just, I looked at it as just the next step. While I love basketball, I just looked at it as, as the next step. Uh, um, in, in my career. So when, when I, when I decided to start looking for a, a corporate job or a regular job, there wasn't any fear. There wasn't any trepidation. I just, the, the only thing I was worried about was finding something that I'd be interested in doing. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, sounds like a lot of us nowadays too, when we're trying to decide what it is that we want to do. I was someone who was uh, pre-med for a, a year and a half before I then decided that I wanted to do something else. And I would also say it was just the concern about finding something that I'd actually be interested in. And I like to think that I found that right now. So very, very excited for the next step. And so right. when you began your work as a bond trader and then eventually got into investment banking, what do you think it was that was able to let you have such a successful career in the 90s? Was it something you learned at Princeton? Was it something you learned on the basketball court? How do you think you were able to have such a successful career there? That That's a really good question. And, and I, know, I, I know what I think it was. Um, there were a couple of things. One, it was my, my, my parents were hard workers, right? So I grew up in a house where both my parents um, went to work and, and my dad had MS, so he was disabled and got up and went to work every day. So we had no excuse, right? We were up and, 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 and following in behind our parents. So we, we grew up as hard workers. So that's the first thing. That's, that helped me be successful in just about everything I've done. But the second thing I'll attribute it to basketball and it is knowing how to work within a team environment, right? Not everybody uh, gets to, 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 to be on a team, especially on a professional team, but being, just, being, being, just growing up playing sports, being on teams, understanding what sacrifice was, understanding what, um, what giving of yourself for others, um, you know, encouraging people who aren't doing as well as you are 
facing adversity, all those things happen in a team environment. Uh, and I think that more than anything has allowed me to feel comfortable in, cor in corporate situations when, and, and especially when I was working on Wall Street in, in the finance area uh, where it can be very clubby, it can be very um, um, sort of secular, but having played on teams, I was able to go in and fit in and sort of figure it out uh, at, early on in my career. Yeah, and even just uh, pausing right there since we're on basketball and just taking it back to your time at Princeton, um, I see that you're still very involved in the in the university. I remember you were involved in the baccalaureate procession and the commencement procession. Why is that something that you, why is that a role and why is your level of involvement where, where it is? Well, I, I feel like uh, Princeton really was an important um, transformational place for me, right? I, it changed my life, right? It, you know, I'm, 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 again, from the south side of Chicago, two parents who didn't go to college and ended up at a place like Princeton, and it literally changed our lives. And so I am active uh, at Princeton because I feel that there are other sort of people who, who are coming in uh, kind of like I did and, and I want to be a role model. I want to be an asset. I want to be a resource to them and help them understand how great a place Princeton is and how important it can be in your, in your overall development. Yeah, and I think I was definitely able to realize that and appreciate that, at least in my last two years. I don't know if as much when I was pre-med and not loving my classes as much, but right. I would definitely say when you get to the point where you're in your junior and senior year and you're seeing all the different opportunities that are available to you because you go to Princeton, you have certain firms come and recruit at only places like Princeton. I right. think then that's the point where a lot of myself and my peers start to finally appreciate exactly what Princeton is. And, and, it, and it happens at different times for people because just like you said, when you first get there, you're in hyper competitive mode. Even if you're not playing a varsity sport or a club sport, you, you're, you're compete, you feel like you're competing with the best of the best, but the, the competition was actually getting in. Once you get there, you, the sooner you find your sweet spot and stop worrying about the other folks who are there, uh, and, and find your spot, that's when you start to thrive. And it, it's for that reason, my experience makes me want to share any, any part of my success with those who are coming up uh, behind me because Princeton really is a wonderful place. And, um, and, and the sooner that we as young Black people uh, and you as young Black folks realize what it can do and uh, how it can it change you, uh, the, the, the better. Yeah. Yeah. 100% agree. Um, and so you spent a little bit of time in finance and then this is a lot of my questions are going to be about the points when you decide to change career, because sure. as someone who's just about to enter the workforce, I'm thinking, okay, how long will I stay in one role? When will I know that it's the right time to leave? And so when you had spent, um, the nineties in finance, when did you then decide that it was time to do something else and go pursue a career in basketball? Because I think I read somewhere that you realized you'd be taking a significant pay cut. It would be a different right. way of life. So why was it the right time again for you to then leave finance and go into so, basketball? So Falar, and I would say, you know, when I first got in there, I had no idea what 
investment banking, sales and trading. I didn't know the finance. I didn't know the institutional finance um, enterprise at all. Right. The only thing I knew about finance coming out of Princeton was I had a bank account at Princeton and how to write checks and things like that. I knew that, you know, you had to get loans to buy a house, that kind of stuff. But that was the extent of my expertise. And then once I got involved and I saw the vast amount of capital that was going through the system and how much money you could make, I, I was like, I'm in this for I'm in this for for real. Right. And and so right away being coming from the place I came from, I couldn't see that sustaining for a long period of time. Right. That's what happens when you grow up without a whole lot. You think, OK, you have this opportunity. You got to take advantage of it because this is going to go away. So I had always had the plan of working as long as it took me to pay for my house, to pay for my, you know, expenses, you know, pay off my student loans and all that kind of stuff, save up enough money for my kids' college education. And I was, I, my plan was to then at, you know, whatever age it would have been, 45, 50, to teach seventh grade and coach high school basketball. That was my sort of exit plan. Now, there wasn't a, I didn't have a dollar amount like a lot of people do today because I didn't know to have a dollar amount, right? I just had a plan and I knew I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be in, encumbered with a whole lot of debt. And I figured as long as I was debt free, I could do anything. I could, I could make 25 grand or I could make 250 grand but I knew I'd be okay as long as I didn't have this, this uh, dark cloud of debt hanging over me. So, so that was my plan. So I'm on my way to sort of fulfilling that goal. And, and, and you'll see when, once you hit Wall Street, the bulk of your compensation comes in a year-end bonus. So each year your bonus is different. So, but you, you, know, you kind of have an idea what you're gonna make. And so I spent like 13 years just socking away money and I, was, I, I wasn't anywhere near the, the point of, okay, this is the right time, but an opportunity presented itself to me when, when coach Bill Carmody, who was a former assistant coach at Princeton, got the head coaching job at Northwestern, he offered me an assistant coaching job at a division one school. Now, you have to remember in the back of my mind, I was thinking I would coach in high school and high teach school, seventh yeah. grade. <laughs> This was like getting the Morgan Stanley job of coaching earlier than you expected. So I had to make a decision on leaving or, or, or ch ch I shouldn't say leaving, changing my plan from being completely debt free and having a, you know, a pile of money in the bank to should I take this risk and, 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 um, and, and do something that I've dreamt of doing and that was coaching. And so needless to say, I made the decision to coach. And as you mentioned, it was a huge, you know, it's a huge difference from being, you know, uh, uh, an investment banker and you go to being an assistant basketball coach. And every one of my friends thought I was having a nervous breakdown. But actually <laughs> it was part of a bigger plan and there were no guarantees that I could have, I, I would have been successful and, and all that stuff. But it was something that my, I, my dad always said, if you can find a job that you love doing, it won't feel like a job. And he was absolutely right. And that's why I really took the, the risk to do it. 
and uh and and was was it it just turned out well for me uh after that but that was sort of the 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 process of my decision because it was based on a plan like all princeton folks i had a plan for the future and then these opportunities come out of the out of the woodwork because you have gone to a place like princeton and you know you have to decide whether to take advantage of them or not yeah, and I, it, it seems like that's one thing that you can't ever really prepare for because the opportunities just come out of the out of the woodwork. So there is no blueprint of oh, when you're doing this thing that's really stable and you get this opportunity, what exactly do you do? And it definitely has to come with a lot of self reflection and just figuring right. out exactly what you want to do. But one thing that you mentioned, you said that you got into into finance and you were working to pay off all your debts and to just make sure your call your kids had um they they could pay for college. How were you able to be so, I guess, financially responsible in a time when people are not really and they don't really plan <laughs> that much? Why was that something that you were able to prioritize, whereas some other people aren't able to do that? Yeah, I because I was I, I, I think it was two things. One, I'm just a natural warrior. That's my personality. Um, but two, I grew up in a house with a one parent who had a disability. So you're always concerned with being able to provide for your family, you know, and my dad was able to provide even though he was disabled. So I was always sort of leery about um, being able to provide. And, and, and what my dad, my mom and dad did when I was growing up was they taught us how to save money, right? Because you had to, you know, when you don't have much, you had to. And he, the biggest lesson I learned from him from that standpoint was he said, look at your bills as if you're a business and you're, you're, you're paying, um, you, you're, you're paying rent, you're paying your bills. You, you have to pay yourself. And he said, always pay yourself first. So you figure out your budget, you figure out what you're going to le have left over and pay yourself part of that and put it in the bank. That was that just that simple advice was and, and I respected my dad tremendously, as you as you can imagine. So I just did that. Right. So in 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 a time in a, in a time when people were so materialistic and they just spent every bit of money they had, I was I was trained to be a, a coach, to be a to say a saver. And I've always been that way. Gotcha. And that's definitely very good advice for all my all my peers listen who are, again, going to be making these amounts of money that we probably didn't think we would be making right out of college. And we need to think think more about the long term and realize we're pay we're, yourself although, first, yeah. pay yourself first and, and put some money in the bank and, you know, live. I, I always lived off my draw. And for the for the audience, the draw is the salary you get while you're waiting to get your bonus at the end of the year. And I never lived past my the means of my draw. And then when I got my bonus, if I needed to put a down payment on a house or I needed to make a big purchase, I always waited to see what my bonus was going to be. But even then, I would pay myself first out of my bonus before I started spending money. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and so you mentioned just going back to the coaching again you got the opportunity to be an assistant at northwestern for six years and then mm -hmm. that opportunity when it comes for you to be a head coach at a an, again a, a division one school because you just said in your mind previously the goal was high school basketball coach and yeah. i made it so when that opportunity comes what were those feelings like and and why exactly did it feel like the right time for you to go do that so that's a really good question flo the the, the reason why 
I thought um, Brown was the right job for me was because it was the job that I got. Because when you're in coaching, you know, especially division one coaching, there's only 360 jobs. So you think about that. There's only 360 jobs and you have, you know, thousands of universities that you can work at division one, two, and three. And all of those guys have been coaching for years. So I had interviewed, started interviewing for jobs, probably my fourth year in and just wasn't getting over the hump, just interviewing, but I was practicing my interviewing skills. And then the Brown job came open and I interviewed and, and I really, that was the first time that I thought this job, I am the ideal candidate. Having gone to an Ivy League school, uh, having gone through the process of being recruited to an Ivy League school, having worked at Northwestern, which is a high academic university, it, it had everything um, in my mind. It had everything. I had everything the job needed. And I think that made me more confident when I went to interview. Uh, and that was the job I got offered. So I felt a sense of relief first because I was I got when they made the offer, I was like, whoa, I, I, I got an offer. But then secondly, I was thinking, should I wait for something better? And then I thought to myself, you know, there, there, there's only 360 of these jobs and about 40 of them turn over every year. So you think about that. That's a, that's a, the odds are that you aren't going to be a head coach. Right. And so after I felt relief and took the job, then I felt this wave of, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Am I ready to be a head coach? Uh, just like everybody, um, um, who, 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 who's up for a promotion, but then I'll, I'll go back to a bit of a bit of advice I gotten at my days at Morgan Stanley when I started out and, you know, you're, you're an associate and you do that for a few years and you're starting to figure out, okay, it's about time for me to be considered a vice president. And I asked my manager at the time, uh, who was also a friend of mine, I was like, how do you get promoted to be a vice president? I had no idea. I don't, you know, again, I didn't, I couldn't ask my dad. I didn't have relatives who were in the business. And you know what he told me, Falarin, he said, act like a vice president. That advice I have carried with me from then until now. And I really believe that that helped me get that job because I started acting like a head coach once <laughs> I, once I, once I was ready to be a head coach. So, um, to, so to get back to your question, it was, it was, it was a relief at first. And then it was sort of excitement about, okay, all right, this is what you've been asking for to be a head coach in division one. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah. And I will just say all these different nuggets of advice that you're dropping. I'm just writing them down because they seem like they're going to be very helpful for myself also. So I'm just entering into the real world. Feel free, man. Feel free. I, I, I'm, I'm happy to share. Them. I'm happy to share. them. Yeah. And so you got the head coaching job at Brown and you're able to have two extremely successful seasons where you did you surprise yourself with how you're able to turn the program around or were you like this is an opportunity I've been waiting for. I knew that it was my time to shine. Well, it it was one of those where I knew exactly what to do because we had to do it at Northwestern. So we turned Northwestern around. And I, so I had a little bit of a blueprint there. And, uh, and, and so I wasn't, 
cocky about it, but I knew, hey, if, if, if we have players who are willing to work hard, give themselves over to us and sort of follow our direction, you know, it's all about leadership, right? And I, I, I took all the leadership skills that I had learned a, put together a good staff it was re, a real team effort and uh and we were successful yeah and again 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 about the career jump and i think i'm going to know the answer to this one already but then moving on to oregon state and again with the with the with the point in mind that you always thought it would be high school basketball coach when you're offered a power five conference role how does it does it seem like they just keep getting reaching levels where you just never really expected them to reach because again it's like okay assistant ivy league but coaching being a head coach of a power five conference that's just a very it's a a very big deal yeah i will tell you i didn't even know to aspire to that right because when i got my first job uh um full-time job coaching at Northwestern, I asked Coach Carmody, I was like, do you think I have a chance of ever being a head coach? And I was fine being an assistant in a, at a, at, in the Big Ten. I just didn't know. And I was, and, 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 and I was thinking sort of like a Division Three or, you know, somewhere local, like, you know, Illinois Tech or, you know, North Park in Chicago. You know, these were all local universities. And he was like, oh, yeah, sure. If we do well, you have an opportunity. But so I, I wasn't it wasn't until I got into being a head coach when is was when I was like, OK, when these jobs open up at some point, somebody's going to be interested in me and I have to make the decision. And that's what happened with Oregon State. It was just the we had two really good years. They were a bad team and um, they were looking for somebody who could turn the program around, which we did um, there as well. So I, I just repeated what I did at Northwestern and Brown with better players. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I think what, what I'm hearing from your story is just a great message for people to just, you, you never know where your ceiling is. So you right. can't set it way too low because you might think that this is what you're destined for, but in reality, there's something meant for you that is much higher than what you expected. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great, that's a great uh, nugget to take away. And, and, and as you can see with my career, at one point I had this grand plan. And then at, at a certain point you realize, okay, the plan really isn't yours. You know, it's just the opportunities come from everywhere. What the plan is, is do I make decisions that makes sense for me? Yeah, exactly. And then <clears throat> a few years later down the road, you get the opportunity to be the VP of player and organizational development at the Bucks. And so I'm getting, <laughs> I'm just thinking how, okay, again, high school basketball, and now you're working with the NBA. So NBA. first quick question, actually, because you were there when Giannis was still a very young player. When you right. were there, was the feeling around the building that he would end up being two-time MVP, NBA champion that he was? Oh, yeah. Or has he just suppressed all expectations? No, no, no. Everybody knew he was going to be a great player. Yeah. And when I got there, he was still sort of mo- moving in that direction, but he didn't need any help with his development. He was such a hard worker. He has such a great spirit about him and he was very talented. So, you know, and, and, and sort of genetics gives you the talent part. Right. And he grew up in a poor family and was a hard worker. It was just a matter of time. It was just a matter of time. And, you know, again, you know, you know, if you asked me when I first got out of uh, got done playing overseas, 
I interviewed with the Chicago Bulls and they turned me down. If you had asked me then, I would have said one day I would love to be the general manager of a pro team. But that was that was it. I didn't see a path to that. Right. Because I was already they already told me no. And then I went down the, the finance path. But you just never know how things work out. And and so here I, I end up with the Bucks working in the front office. And then I and then that job gets me an even bigger job with the Knicks where I'm running all a player development. I'm the general manager of the G league team. And it gets back to your, your point. I mean, I started out trying to be a high school basketball coach and, (laughs) you know, I'm the GM of a pro team, a G league team, albeit, but I'm running all of the development for the Knicks and the Westchester Knicks. And I was about as close to being a GM as I could possibly have ever thought I was going to get to. And it all comes down to just, doing well with the opportunity that you have and then things come your way and you decide whether you should take them or not because yeah. you know that there were some other teams that I could have worked for and I chose the Bucks and then I chose the Knicks only because I thought those were opportunities that I my, where my skills would be needed and and used properly yeah and your story funny enough sounds very similar to another alum i've had i had on a few weeks ago mark shapiro who's the ceo and the president of the toronto blue jays yeah he's someone who was able to get his foot in the doors as like in, in like an intern position with the cleveland indians and then just worked really hard got recognized and, and in about 10 15 years was uh gm over there before then going to the blue jays so it's, there's no linear path to any any of these any of these types of jobs. So even myself, who has at least a general interest in sports, I'm like, who knows? Maybe maybe yeah. down the road. <laughs> I mean, you know, and and what I say about a career in sports, you have to be willing to start somewhere and just get in because that's how you do it. You just get in and 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 don't think about how much money you're making or where you're going. Get in, see where you fit, and then just start start grinding. Yeah. <clears throat> and so since you've had some experience in the NBA and with college, would you which group of athletes would you say you have more fun working with college students or professional athletes? Uh, that's a good question. So it's 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 almost it, the difference is college students are still kids, even though you have some NBA student NBA players who are kids, but they are professionals. Yeah. So it's a different relationship. I happen to thrive in working with young people, no matter where they are. Um, but I think the biggest impact that I can have is, is with non-professionals because most people don't make it to the pros. It's, it's hard to get that point across. And people put all their eggs in the being pro basket without sort of taking care of the other business that you need to be prepared for if you don't make it to the pros. And that's likely. I mean, you know, when I was coaching Falarin and I was wondering where are all the NBA players? Like, you know, every, all these guys who are good enough to be in the NBA, where are they? And then I got into the NBA. They're in the NBA. They're (laughs) They're in the NBA already. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody knows who the pros are and they get picked out early. Yeah. So uh, most people aren't going to make it. So I think my I'm best suited for helping develop young people to help them understand that while it's great to have dreams, you have to have realities too. Yeah. 
And then again, another similar question, which role did you prefer being a coach on the sidelines or having the front office role? So I would say, surprisingly, being the coach on the sidelines is great. It was, it was great camaraderie and great relationships. And you had some kind of ability to um, affect the outcome. When you're in the front office, there's so many people in the organization that are actually going to affect the outcome. I mean, you know, we do by putting the teams together and all that kind of stuff. But once you put the teams together, they still have to practice, perform, win games, have camaraderie, be healthy, all these things that are out of your control. So you're further away from the control. If that bothers you, that's not as fun. For me, I like the sideline coaching, you know, yeah. because I could, I could, there, there are some things you can do that'll help you win a game when yeah. you're the coach. There's nothing you can do when you're in the front office to help win yeah. a game after you've picked the team. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the, in the, in the finals going on right now, Bob yeah. Myers is always on the sideline looking very stressed. Brad Stevens also looking very stressed. They, it, no control, no control. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so just two more quick uh, topics that I want to touch on. I forgot to mention earlier that you are a published author. You published your memoir, a game of character, a family journey from Chicago South side to the Ivy league and beyond in 2010. What were you able to learn about yourself while going through the process of, of writing that? So two things, one, to just be able to put together enough thoughts and have a book that that turned out to be halfway decent. And then the other thing was that no one can get to these points in your life, however successful or not, without the help of others. There no, there's no solo players in this. And if you think you are or people think they are, they're just fooling themselves. There were, you know, in, in just looking back, I, I was fortunate to, to be around some really great people with great character and great integrity that were happy to, to, to pour themselves into me and my family. And, and that was really a tribute to, to my parents and to those folks. Yeah. And do you have an interest in writing another book of any sort? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I still have young kids who are in school now and, Having I, I did that while I was coaching, so I had, um, I, 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 it, it was, it was a lot of work. I could see doing it again, but not until like I'm retired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just yeah. the very, very last thing that I wanted to ask you about in doing my research for this, I stumbled upon a Princeton Alumni Weekly article from 2001 that okay. wrote about how you played basketball with Michael Jordan, pick up basketball. Oh, yeah. Could you tell the story of how that even happened and what that experience was like? <laughs> I sure can. You know, this was when he had um, retired from the game to play baseball. Um, actually, no, 2001. So this would have been after the second time he retired. Yeah, pre-Wizards. Yeah, Pre-Wizards when he was coming back. And he just needed some some guys to work out with who were safe to play against that weren't going to try and kill him and <laughs> and and a couple of john rogers who's a princeton grad kit miller who's a princeton grad arnie duncan and i and another guy eric kuby played in a uh we played in in competitive three-on-three tournaments around the country so we were in shape in our 40s right just the sort of his age where he could trust us and um the guy who worked him out, Tim Grover, asked if we would play pickup with him, and we did. 
And we played in these quiet games nobody knew about just to get him back in shape. And it was so much fun. He was, he was such a competitor even then uh, and such a really neat person to be around. It was fun. It was, it was all the things you could imagine. And, and, uh, and we had a little bit to do with him coming back. Yeah, that's something you could you could take credit for. If anyone yeah. asks, I I I had a hand to play <laughs> MJ coming back and playing for the Wizards in two thousand one. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Craig Robinson, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a very very enjoyable podcast. Yeah, man, you're doing a great job. Keep it up, and I look forward to hearing more of your episodes as we move forward. Nothing.